0: I ask you to remain standing for the reading of God's word this morning from Philippians chapter three. Keep you standing for a minute. If you have been with us at all uh, for the last couple of months, and you know exactly where to turn, we continue in this marvelous study of humility and joy in any and all circumstances. And we love this letter largely for that reason. There are. Uh, it gives us encouragement. It gives us hope. It gives us uh, joy in the midst of the mess. And there are many memorable verses. Uh, throughout this letter of Ephesians. But to take them to heart and apply them, well, that's the lifelong uh, journey and battle for us, to work out our salvation uh, with, in the fear of the Lord. So chapter 3, we'll read the first 11 verses. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee Oh God, we are humbled as we come under your word this morning, a word that we need, a word that we are grateful for, and a word, Lord, that you must work into our hearts. And so we ask you to teach us. We ask you to, to form and fashion us through your word, for you are working it to perform all that you desire. Lord, we desire to know you more. To follow you more help us to be attentive in these moments speak faithfully through your servant and help us by the presence of your spirit it's in the spirit of christ that we do pray amen you may be seated thanks dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. do you recognize that is that familiar probably is to many of you you recognize those phrases from Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, right, Beethoven's Fifth. Now it's played a lot better than what I just tried to do, Um, but it's familiar, it's a familiar theme, which is what composers usually do, they'll have a familiar theme and then they'll kind of go away from that theme for a little while, maybe get a little softer, go on to a different movement and then dun-dun-dun-dun, you're right back to it. Um, and then you're reminded why you like that piece so much, right? Because you hear that theme. So in the opening of chapter three here, our letter composer is doing just that. Dun 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 dun. Finally, brothers and sisters, church, rejoice in the Lord. So that there are some who think that Paul actually intended to end his letter right here, finally. Um, and that while he was you know, putting his signature on the letters, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got to mention that too. And then he starts writing some more. Um, and I'll admit that it's a little strange to see finally uh, at the beginning of our text here in chapter three. Um, but I'm not buying the argument that Paul intended to end here. And these are sort of an afterthought uh, to his writing. The piece isn't over yet. Um, he's giving us this, this main theme, taking us back to joy in Christ he's going after some of those things that undermine that joy. Uh, that attack that joy. And we've seen this already in the letter. Well, he will provide some instruction and then some of the, the support, rationale behind this, and he goes back to that instruction. So it's no trouble for him. He's not, you know, in some way put out by saying this again. Uh, it doesn't frustrate him. The church needs to hear this. We need to hear this. We need to... We need to be called to to rejoice, to find our joy and purpose and confidence in the Lord in every season of life, in every circumstance. And believe me, we have a lot of different seasons represented here this morning. A lot of circumstances. And again, the apostle's not making a suggestion here. He's not saying, well... You know, this joy in the Lord, it's an optional sort of condition or an optional state of mind if things are sort of working out as you expected them to. Uh, Then then you can be joyful. No, no. Joy runs deep for the Christian. Uh, And Paul's going to share why this is in these verses. But there's a danger in the church. Uh, Either Paul had caught wind of an attack or, or something that had happened in the church or he's providing this general instruction but very strong warning based on the experience that he has had with some very overzealous Jews We might call them the the Judaizers and they would come into an area into, into the church the Gentile Christians and they'd say if you want to follow God faithfully if you want to be righteous then you must be circumcised and then follow all the regulations of the Old Testament law. You must, you must identify, essentially you must be, become a Jew to enjoy eternal salvation uh, and, and favor with God. And so he uses some very striking language here. You picked up on that. Um, <laughs> the, the apostle, like, he, he slams the door on this whole idea. Kind of like the whole letter to the Galatians. We, we have that, that sort of strong language here. He, he does, this doesn't sit well with him. Um, and he would know. Paul would know. He knows their argument better than anyone. He knows what they, are, what they are trusting in to satisfy the demands of a holy and perfect and righteous God. Instead of leading to life and joy in relationship with a covenant-keeping God, their circumcision is actually leading to death. Spiritual destruction. Uh, those unclean Gentile dogs... That's who they're going after. It's serious enough for Paul to use the same title in reverse. In effect, they are they are cutting themselves off from the people of God by requiring this ritual in order to be justified before the eyes of God. Now, Paul still uses the language here: "For we are the circumcision." Who is we? Well, that's that's the church. The church in Philippi, the church in the city of Sherwood, Jew and Gentile who who worship by the Spirit of God. True circumcision is a circumcision of the heart. It's a heart change. So the the outward sign given to males in the Old Testament is intended to call the one circumcised and those those in in that family, the older ones who are circumcised, To embrace what that circumcision actually signifies. A covenant relationship with God. The circumcision did not make the covenant. It's important for us to make that distinction. This was God's sign, God's pledge. Just like Abraham, whoever, like Abraham, would honor God and, and put their faith in Him, then they would belong to Him. His covenant promises, the blessings and the curses, would be theirs. The Lord, uh, speaking through Moses, just one text here from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live, so the covenant would pass from one generation to the next. But as the sign demonstrates, it would require bloodshed, the shedding of blood for sin. So under the old covenant, looking forward to the shedding of blood for sin, under the new covenant, now looking back at the one-time shedding of blood for sin and what that accomplished. So we do that today, not with a, a bloody ritual of removing the foreskin, but through the waters of baptism. Paul's writing in Colossians 2. He says, In Him in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which, it's baptism, you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. God's pledge... That whoever has the sign would embrace from the heart what that sign is a sign of. So that's a lot of words, a lot of uh, just unpacking what it uh, says there in verse 3. But important for us to understand, if as the church, we are the circumcision. Uh, We don't put our confidence in the circumcision of the flesh, we put our confidence in Christ. So those are the two main headings here this morning. Confidence in the flesh, confidence in Christ. Uh, What confidence does Paul have in the flesh? Or what confidence could he have uh, in the flesh? Um, When we talk about confidence here, we're talking about a complete trust. A complete dependence on something for our righteousness, for a right and justified status before God. As we read in verses 5 and 6, Paul has it all. Okay? Uh, he he is the most qualified Jew. He has he has the bloodline from the tribe of Benjamin. He has the education. Paul is summa cum laude from Pharisee school. Um, he has the achievement. And when it comes to obeying the Old Testament requirements, there's no one who could touch Paul. Uh, and it wasn't just a good report card either. He, I mean, he was he was zealous. He was passionate to see the law obeyed, willing to enforce it. So, Paul is saying a little bit more contemporary uh, language here. You know, don't talk to me about credentials, okay? Um, I have been there, done that. I've got the t shirt. The diplomas are on the wall. Uh, I have the degrees and the status that goes along with it, or had that. I know full well what circumcision is and what it means. And it's not what they say or you need. If there is confidence in the flesh, if there is confidence in the flesh, Paul has more reason than anyone to stand before God and say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. The evidence is pretty clear. Or at least a a little clearer than for anyone else. For you to show favor. So let's think for a second. What confidence do we have in the flesh? What might you put into this column that you're trusting in Uh, or at least satisfied that maybe maybe God's smile is a little bigger for you Uh, it must be a little harder for him to to judge your sin could be a bloodline maybe the family that you're from had a great lunch this last week with um, several pastors at family life just a Delightful time. We sat with a, um, another couple there, and this, this pastor was sharing that he has, uh, his father and his grandfather were pastors. He has three sons, and all three of them are pastors. Like, in the area. It's like a family business in Arkansas. Um, delightful, delightful couple. Lord, Lord, I'm from a faithful line of pastors. Um, I'm from the line of, you know, fill in the blank. How about your training? The education that you have, that you've received? You know, watching the GA a little bit, streamlined this last week. There's some, um, we've got some pretty smart guys in the denomination guys and gals. A lot of education floating around. Um, and praise God for that, but here it is, Lord. Um, maybe your status, status at school. Uh, status on a sports team or a club that you're involved in? Okay, how about at work? You know, you're at the top of your game or at least working your way there as best as you can and this is not a slight on on, on perseverance and hard work and achievement for what it is. But are you trusting in these things before men and before God? Must they be there for you to live before God now and forever? You see, what we have confidence in rubs shoulders so closely with our, our identity, really. Um, what we must have, uh, what we must be in order to gain the approval of others and the approval of God. See, all of Paul's qualifications here in verses 5 and 6, what the Judaizers were after, they would all be central to identity. And I realize we're not always We're not always thinking about identity in these terms, but it's always there. Uh, Our identity is always either being challenged or it's being affirmed. It's being uprooted or it's being cemented. Uh, Through every conversation or every action, through our sin, through our repentance of sin, through the responses of others, our identity is always before us. We need to think seriously about where our confidence rests, what is central to that identity. You know, I was thinking about this. We don't have to work very hard at this, um, just to subtly enforce what's important to identity. Um, John, where are you from? Right? There's, there's some You hear the identity there? Where are you from, Howard? Uh, what do you do again? You know, and so that there's. And we ask these questions to. To get to know folks, but it still shows what's significant to identity, right? Um, And we can make a direct line from identity to the condition of our joy. Now, it's a line we're not going to be able to make fully this morning. It's there. Um, So as Paul continues to write, he shares that his identity has been transformed. All that he could take confidence in, it's loss, Uh, So, for those of you who are accountants or you have some skills in that area, you know, the the bloodlines, the education, the the, the training, the achievement, that's that's in the loss column, that's in the red. Because what's in the gain column is of infinitely greater worth, infinitely greater value. I uh, I went down to our uh, safe room this last week. And I'm hoping the whole family can actually get into it if we actually need it, because it's also a storage room. And uh, I was looking for some articles of clothing, not quite sure where they were, of course, and you know where they were. They were in the bottom bin in the bottom corner. And so I'm working my way through and kind of going through the bins um, in the storage room, and and I came across these. For those of you who can't see them, they're baseball cards. And I, I used to collect baseball cards as a kid. Maybe some of you did. And I have, some, I have binders full of very well-preserved uh, baseball cards. The well-preserved investment that baseball cards are, right? <laughs> I, I saved them so well so that I could find them someday in a storage unit. Um, so you're all chuckling because you know that um, it's not going to do much for your retirement portfolio if you've got stacks of baseball cards. Uh, they really have no value anymore. Unless you put them on the spokes. You put them on your spokes for the bike. I've got lots extra if you want to put them on your, on your bike. Um, but Paul, Paul has traded it all. See? No value to him anymore. What he had before, any boasting in the flesh, is worthless compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Jesus himself shares the great value of the kingdom Kingdom of God in Matthew chapter 13, you may recall, a merchant finds that one great pearl. He goes and he sells everything that he has so he can possess that one pearl. That's how valuable it was. There's only one thing of value, one person in this gain column for Paul, and that is Christ, his Lord, his Savior. His identity, his whole confidence in life and in the face of death is Christ. That's the same for us. The same for us. So, what does that look like? How does it, it manifest? Uh, and Paul and the people of God, the true circumcision, and we get to verses 9 through 11, contain some of the most beautiful, uh, just beautiful gospel language that we have in the New Testament. Certainly, with, uh, when summarizing Paul's theology, uh, confidence in the flesh, no confidence at all. Confidence in Christ, the only thing that endures. Knowing Him is of surpassing worth. There's nothing that should be, nothing that that could be held of a greater value than the Lord Jesus. So he mentions these three aspects of our salvation again these verses. Our confidence in Christ is sure and of surpassing worth because we're justified in Him. It's verse 9. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. A righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is the heart of the gospel. How will we stand in the presence of God? How do we meet the demands of the law? Our, our covenant obligations before the Creator? Do we do this in our own strength? I'm just going to do better tomorrow. I'm going to do better tomorrow. I'll do better tomorrow. I'll do better tomorrow. You run out of tomorrows. Oh. And the very fact that we think we need to to do better and can do better, shows us we've already failed our covenant obligations. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, they they failed to meet their covenant obligations as well. And so, well, like father, like son, right? Like father, like daughters. You will surely die. We will surely die in our sin. That is our lot. That is the lot of humanity. If not for the second Adam. This Adam keeps the law perfectly. His offspring stand as righteous before the Father. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. See, Paul just unpacks this in his letter to the Romans. You really have all of the letters to the Romans right here in verses 9 through 11. He's repeating himself. He seems to be running out of words here because it really is that astounding. It really is that beautiful. It really is... Of that much value. The righteousness of Jesus credited to us. The sacrifice of Jesus' payment for us. In 2 Corinthians 5. He says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus suffered the loss of all things. That He might gain His bride. That He might gain us. Jesus has all righteousness in Himself. In fulfillment of the law, He is blameless. He is our righteousness before a holy God, a righteousness that comes through faith. Faith faith does not make us righteous. Faith is the means by which we receive this righteousness. I think it was Dr. R.C. Sproul who coined this phrase, alien righteousness. It's outside of us. It is foreign to us. It is credited, imputed to us. But it's all Jesus. It is all Jesus. Our faith in Christ makes us a part of him. And it's this this wonderful, necessary, mysterious union that we have with Jesus, that by faith, what is true of Jesus becomes true of us. Are we perfect? Chuckle chuckle. <laughs> No, of course not. We're not perfect, but He is, and by faith we're found in Him. I mean, what a what a shift! What a shift in confidence, a shift in identity away from ourselves, and all those things that we throw in there for our identity into Him, to His identity. Um, there's a there's a, a group called the Good Little Giants. Um, they're co- kind of a contemporary uh, Christian group. They're, they're not very well known. They've, they put out one album, I think. But as you listen to these guys, I was exposed to them in the last few months. Um, you think, you know, these guys, these guys get it. They understand a deeper story here. Um, and they have a song called Ollie Ali Oxenfree. Have you, have you heard that phrase before? Some of you have. I, I never used it growing up, playing hide-and-seek or... Or some of the other ones, kick the can or or something like that. But you yell, ollie, ollie, oxen free, and everybody can come out. Because it's safe to come out. You know, the game's over or you're switching sides or something like that. Um, So that's what they call this song. Let me read, I won't read all the lyrics, but just some of them. Listen to the desire and the call for identity. Pick a corner, the darker the better, so no one knows. Run away so the light doesn't catch you and you get exposed. All alone and you're tired of waiting, but no one comes around. In the darkness, you've been suffocating. You're just waiting to be found. Well, come out, come out, wherever you are. Wherever you are, come on, come home. You're never too far. If you're playing hide and seek, ollie, ollie, oxen free. Child, you can be redeemed. Ali, Ali, oxen free. Weary sinner, come to me. Ali, Ali, oxen free. To gain Christ, to be found in Him. Not to run and, and hide in our shame. We know that familiar story from Genesis chapter 3, the hide and seek. But to be found in Christ. To know that we belong. To know that we are loved. To know that we are accepted. That we have an identity and lasting joy in Jesus. And that's the knowing that Paul wants more of. He just wants more and more and more. Verse 10, there's a sanctification piece. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Here is an ongoing knowledge. An ongoing transformation for Paul. He's not stuck here in the, in the mind. He's just want to know more about Jesus. That's not it. He wants, to, he wants to know him personally, a greater communion, a greater commitment to Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul himself shares about you know, a man who was, we're pretty confident it was Paul himself, who was caught up in this experience of in paradise, seeing things that just could not be shared or explained. That's what he desires. <laughs> he says, I'm going to boast in this. He wants this closeness with the Lord, uh, to be all the more aware of the Lord's presence. Uh, I pray that's something that you want. I pray that's something that we want as a church to know Christ more, to, to bask in the wonder of his grace, the life that we have in him. Uh, you know, so often we slip into this survival mode or at least a survival mindset. You know, If we can just get through the day, right? We just need to get through the day or this particular situation that's in front of us. Um, my prayer is that we would know Jesus more through the situation. That we would know Jesus more through the day and not just get through it. Um, we share in the risen life of Christ. We share in that life now. Our bodies will rise again on that great day of His return. But He gives us that power now, in all of our weakness, to walk with Him, to know Him more. And then as this knowledge grows, the more we become like Christ, the more we suffer as He has suffered. And this, this is the reality that Paul's face to face with. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? The apostle is willing to suffer, willing to die as his master has done. Because that suffering is his glory. The resurrection power he has in Christ will see his body rise again to eternal glory. That's where we are here in verse 11. Justified in Jesus. Sanctified and growing in Jesus. And now glorified in Jesus. That's the end game. That's the greatest existence of all. Not just a general resurrection of the dead that's coming for all. Paul is referring here to to the resurrection of the righteous. Resurrection that, that leads to glory to be forever with the Lord. That's what gets Paul excited about. That's what fuels his joy. That Jesus is alive. That that he's living this life of glory now. This life of glory Jesus is living. And the life of those found in him. Be certain of that glory as well. Um, Church, that should get us excited. It really should. Um, This should fuel our joy. To know that glory is coming. After darkness, light. After the the sadness and the struggle and the pain, glory and forever praise. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. It's a powerful testimony in our time. To be a people of of inner joy, just have a hard time containing this, in the midst of the, the chaos, the confusion around us, to be a people of joy. Because Jesus is alive, and by faith, we are alive in Him. So Jesus of surpassing worth, our rejoicing is always the result of, of knowing our position in Christ. The more we know the love of God in Christ, the deeper our rejoicing. You can hear it just oozing out of the apostle here. To gain Christ, to be found in Christ, to know Him, it's worth more than anything I can do. Anything you can do, anything that you have, anything that you ever will have in this life. So I pray that be true of us. We wait for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. There, our confidence is sure and our rejoicing. It will never end. Let's pray. Lord, we have much to be thankful for and much reason to rejoice, for you are alive. And we are alive together with you, O oh Christ. Oh, to know you more, to be found. In you, we thank you for this gift of your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We pray, Lord, that as we go from this place and live as your people, as the the true circumcision, that we be found faithful and lean into Christ, our righteousness. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.